This episode of the Young Grognard Podcast is brought to you by Judd Beer. Well, hey, Susan. Hey, Donald. You're looking uh, down in the dumps. Well, that seems to be the problem. Too many dumps, and not enough at the same time. I spend all my time down at the bar drinking all these refreshing, rusty, dirty Judds, and eating so much of the bar pump cheese that I just can't help but feel, well, really, really blocked up. Well, well, if you tried the new antacid, Judd, natural well, cheese flavor too. Listen, I take enough Dolcalax to, to, to release quite a, quite a bit. But what's this new Judd you speak of? Dolca Judd. Dolca Judd. Listen, it'll have you shooting out of both ends. <laughs> you said it was nacho cheese flavored. Yeah. That sounds divine. Nacho pub cheese. Nacho pub cheese. Well, whose pub cheese is it? Ha ha ha! It's Judd cheese. <laughs> New from Judd. Dulka Judd. Release the beast. Judd, don't drink it. You're listening to Young Grognard, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. A haven for all things nerdy and dungeonous. Enjoy. Hey all you adventurers cruising through your dimensional gates, all you have an ill fate, and all of you who make me kind of irate, my name is the Grognard of the Young, the Young Grognard, and I'm coming at you live with my friend Sarah over here who is very unhappy. I was going to do an intro and let her talk on it, but that's not how we run the show. it's it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Do you want to do the other intro? No. That moment has passed. Oh, good. So anyway, uh, on to important news. Uh, this is episode three in the campaign setting series that we're doing here. We're making our own campaign setting, and we're doing kind of a procedural step-by-step making of it. We are, I believe, technically four questions in. We dodged a few questions simply because I wanted to wait till the ending to give it a name, because I want something that after everything has been said... I know what I would want to call it. Maybe something will come to me when I'm taking a shower someday or driving into work, but as of right now, I ain't got nothing. The other question we had was the 30-second elevator pitch. Again, I think I need to say it in summary at the ending to get a full vibe for it. So we already talked about villains, heroes, um, and we talked about the general theme of the campaign we wanted to get across. But today we have two more questions to talk about because we're kind of cruising through this. But the question that we're going to start with today, and I'm trying to hurry up through it because I know these things usually kind of take a bit longer than I was originally expecting. But um, the first question we have for our campaign uh, is what event in your world altered its history? So following the last episode where we were talking about the most renowned hero and the most nefarious villain and we talked about them both being kind of frozen in in diamond or however you want to say their current state is uh whatever han solo was in carbonite he uh these guys are in diamond but i i think that the most the most altering event that took place yeah what event in your world altered its history is an interesting question because it's it's something that it and I feel like all these questions have a deeper meaning than what they're initially read as, because when we're asking, like, what altered our world, 
implies that there was a world before that is now very different because of some shift. And I think oftentimes my go-to for this is to say magic was created or like a new system of gods was created. Something gigantic that shapes the world. You know what I mean? Uh, but is there anything that comes to mind when I say like something that altered your world, Sarah? Anything that kind of like jumps to mind of like, is this uh, something world altering? Doesn't that strike you as being kind of I don't know. It has to be gigantic. Yeah, well, it has to be transformative. That's, I mean, world changing is transformative and the only, I guess, ways that you'll change on a global scale is something huge, you know? Like, if you look into our own history, like, what things, what periods of Earth's history were transformative? And then you want to emulate that kind of thing yeah, in a world, true. you know? I feel like we're doing that a lot in this podcast now. Wherever we have to think of something to build a campaign, we're turning to real world history. And I kind of dig that. Because I think, and what's funny is I think about it, and maybe this is just me being like a nerd, but the first thing that comes to mind when I immediately think like, what's a real world event that's transformed history? The printing press. Why that's the first thing that jumped to mind is whatever. I don't know. I think I was in high school when we had to write an essay on what the most important invention of all time was. Mm -hmm. And I think the printing press was a pretty popular choice for yeah. people to put out. But you think about it and it's like, I mean... That is kind of the way we were able to, I don't know, transfer information. It made it so accessible, not to mention in a more historical sense. I mean, the Bible could be spread around. Yeah. And that, that impacted, you know, Protestantism and other things people come to a D&D &D podcast to hear about. Uh, yeah. You know, Protestantism. Anyway. Yeah. But, I, I, like, is there anything in our history that strikes you as being really transformative um, to the world? First thing that comes to mind for me, and that's only because I was talking about it the other day is the first telephone call by Alexander Graham Bell because that actually happened in Cambridge where the phone call was received and I was at the building the other day so that's like in my head at the moment but the telephone for instance I think yeah and I think if, I think one thing we didn't address was something sort of like the the innovation of the a-bomb and mm. like dropping nuclear yeah mm -hmm. right that's another example of a real transformative event in history that mm -hmm. has altered the course of things. I mean, World War is another thing that's yeah. an event. Not to mention, World War takes years, usually. So it's like, <clears throat> well, I guess in our case, yeah, every single time yeah. it's been. But when we say an event that's altered history, it we never get specific that it's one single thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Which I think isn't important to bring up. So it technically, in our fantasy world, the most important event could have taken a millennia. Right. But I feel like that's not interesting. Cause and it, I also, feel like... well, it also depends on if it changed the world, what you, how that change is perceived now. Like, for instance, part of what changed Earth was the tectonic plate shifting and the, the continents shifting around and stuff like that. But that's not really something Yo, wait that... till I tell you about gravity. <laughs> and that kind of stuff where that obviously changed the world and made it what it is, but also can't really be felt all yeah. of these years and years and years later, right? That's so it's, true. So it's thinking about things that are also world-changing, but are they world-changing in a Not way that's Not to mention history. Felt... History yeah. is the most important term there, the the event that altered history. Yes. So I think that, I mean, the world has its own history, but history as it relates to human beings. And science is the only reason why we care about tectonic plates is because mm -hmm. people just have a, a, I don't know, a, a desire to seek knowledge, and that's why we probably learn about that stuff. But anyway, beyond the, the concepts of that sort of thing how we could take those events and add them to our world i think helps again define our campaign setting which i get is the project of this but it's interesting to think how much the most important event can alter how everything's perceived we talked uh, a little bit between episodes about 
the concept of where magic's going to fit in, and spoiler alert for the end of the episode, but we're going to talk about magic too. But I like the idea that maybe one of the most important events was the first use of magic by mortals or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. I like the idea that maybe that's sort of like the telephone. That's sort of like the printing press. It's the idea that like the world was brought closer that day. It wasn't just people striving and like trying to put things together and like living in little farmsteads and villages. This was people who could now fly. This was people who could send messages across planes. This was people who could contact demons and angels. This was, you know what I mean? Innovations in that regard. So I think that magic would probably be the closest parallel we could have to our science and technology as well as like writing. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we also need to pay attention to our campaign setting. And if we were going to argue that this was, I don't know, a world that was grimdark, maybe the most important event was, I don't know why it became grimdark. If it was, uh, I don't know, something that took place in more of like a sword and sorcery, but like Conan the Barbarian styled place, or, or some sort of desert world or something like Al-Qadim, which is another campaign setting, then, or like Arabian Nights is another good example of this sort of campaign setting, but have the most important event maybe something to do with like water or travel, you know what I mean? Something that sort of like our telephones and like our printing press sort of brings the world closer together and makes it more inhabitable. So what would be the most uh, world-altering, history-altering event to take place? I would think it would have to do with magic. I would think it would have to do something with like the first mortal to ever wield magic. And I don't know. I think that that, that would be an interesting way of segueing into the next question. But the question is, would magic... I don't know. I'm thinking, like, would this be an... I mean, if we want to go back to our example, I imagine there was probably a couple of nice cold bottles of Judd cracked open after the first phone call with people celebrating over the, you know, the, you know, the success of such an event. I bet when the printing press was first finished, people were in great praise about its completion. But then you think about something like the A-bomb, which to this day we mourn about the losses and terrible things that have occurred because of it. However you, you view the history or, or why the reasons were that we did such a thing, I don't mean to get political, obviously, but there's something to be said about that much devastation being remembered not so fondly. You know what I mean? So the question I have is, is this a memory that alters our fantasy world for the better or for the worse? Mm. Is this a day remembered by all as like a day of mourning and this is why people don't practice magic? Or is this a day that people revere and they're like, wow, the first person to step foot on the moon, the first person to cast magic missile at the darkness. (laughs) I feel like it would be kind of interesting and intriguing to have a world where something doesn't... Maybe it's ambiguous. And maybe some people look at it and they're like, this was the most important day for everybody because this person did this. And maybe other people are like, this is the day when everything terrible happened and started. Mm, Yeah, macro perspective. I don't know, I think it's more interesting to have it be either, you know, ambiguous or negative than for it to be this great, wonderful being of time. I also think from what we've discussed so far for this world, we talked about how, I think in the first podcast about this topic, that magic was kind of on the, not on the periphery of society, but it wasn't something that was every single day. It was very, you know, Tolkien where it exists, but it's still kind of fantastic and, you know, you do you don't see magic every single day and when you say right. you're still in awe of it and i think that that awe could also be fear for some people and it could be you know excitement for others 
Um, so perhaps the person who discovered magic for the first time, you know, did something amazing and it was like, ah, magic, but then he, I don't know, became evil and started doing horrible things with it or, you know, I don't know. Well, I think maybe that first person was, and in this, the concept of deism came up in the last episode in my head. I didn't, I didn't say anything about it, but a thought that came to my mind about the idea of sort of like the person who first wound the clock of the universe and just kind of left. You know what I mean? The idea that maybe the first Mm. person to ever use magic just kind of figured it out and left it on the table. And everybody beyond there is why it's such an ambiguous event. Some people look at it and they say, well, this is why we have magical transportation. This is why we have so much information available to us because we had wizards of the past. But other people are like, well, you know, this is also why we have necromancy and the dark magics is because you guys had to go meddling in these dark affairs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it would be cool to sort of have the first person who used magic maybe even be anonymous or... I don't know, somebody that can't carry blame. And maybe for that reason, a lot of people have the idea of kind of like the smoking gun here, where they're like, maybe the first person who did it wasn't actually a person. Maybe this was some gift from the gods. Maybe it was a curse. Maybe it was a trick. Mm. And maybe nobody really knows for certain what happened. But Mm. I don't know. Maybe historians and people who think magic is a good thing have an actual idea of who did it. And then people who believe that magic is evil have a very different belief of who did it. Like maybe it was some sick and sinister joke. I like the idea of religion playing into this and the idea that there's sort of like a relationship between the heavily religious dogmatic beliefs that that form of magic is like, I don't know, damns humanity and damns all the people of the world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As if they like dare hold up a magic before the gods, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe this magic is beyond the gods. Um, I like the idea that, well, okay, how about, how about this? Let's, let's connect over into the next question real quick. The question is, how prevalent is magic and where does it come from? And I like the idea that the prevalence of magic is sort of depending on where you're from, where some places have much more magic and other places don't have much at all. But I don't like the idea that it's kind of random. I like the idea that the majority of the world, you can find a court wizard in important kingdoms. You can find wizards in big in big towns who eventually, maybe at some point in time, take on a student. But I like the idea that mages sort of have to walk a neutral line when they're mages. The idea that they can be good, but the idea is that because they live in a society where magic probably came from a bad place, Mm -hmm. they sort of do this weird walk where, I don't know, the only thing that comes to mind is the idea that like every butcher knows that an animal that they cut up feels pain, but it's like there's almost a necessary outcome in their mind where it's like it just provides pleasure for people. It provides sustenance. So it's like a necessary evil that they do for the society around them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or the idea of being a soldier who feels bad for what they do in war is like the idea that like they view themselves as a necessary thing that has to happen. So I like the idea that wizards feel like there's an imperative to understand the secrets of the universe. But. To do so, they have to accept certain terms and conditions mm. that are very, like, damning. The idea that all magics originally come from some evil place. And the idea that they sort of all sign a deal with the devil. And a lot of people believe that their souls can be saved, but maybe it's hard to tell. I don't know. I feel like in a world where gods exist, you'd probably be able to tell pretty quickly. But maybe what we'll say is that most people who learn a lot about magic, maybe it works like the Force. You know what I mean? Maybe it's mm. kind of like Star Wars, where 
people sort of in order to become great mages they need to like i don't know maybe i don't want to say it maybe because magic is so hard to come by the only way to become a great mage is to learn tons of it and the only way to learn tons of it is either to be like super greedy or super adventurous or something like that to go accumulate it but if you're just a guy who studies one spell for his whole life like you'll never become a terrible person because you've exercised a level of like i don't know patience with yourself and a level of self-control but people who understand how much power they have can quickly be sort of persuaded by the dark side of magic and can sort of like fall deeper within this this clutch that i don't know maybe that's where magic even comes from maybe magic is just sort of like the essence of of greed and passion and that magic is just like passionate spirit untamed and that's where it comes from is this this embodied spirit that it like permeates the universe and that like mm. the desire to like cast spells is what makes it work the idea that if you wish to shoot a fireball it's because you will it so much and use certain magic words that have worked throughout history that you can cause it to happen but it's a lot based on the will you know mm -hmm. what i mean mm -hmm. and so people who submit to the will of magic and become sort of a lightning rod for it are those who can cast the greatest of spells but if you don't learn to practice with i don't know patience empathy humility like you won't be able to save yourself from i don't know the evil curse of i don't know greed that comes along with that kind of power you know what i mean mm -hmm. and i know that's pretty cliche fantasy but i don't know so let's get a little bit more specific then where does magic come from um <laughs> dead space Oh, no. I mean, um, I like the idea that maybe, like I said before, it's like pure, unbridled passion. And it's the idea that it's like a human spirit that's like metaphysically separated from bodies. It's so, it's like a thing that lives in the universe, as if it, like there is a force out there. But is it just passion, or would it be in, in moments of great emotion? Or is it just... I mean, I like, imagine... say, like, I'm thinking of, for instance, our hero and his moment of, like, bravery or whatever. And maybe, like, in that moment of bravery, he, you know, channeled magic in some way, blah, 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 something, something, bippity bop. Yeah, um, I can see where that's coming from, but I think that that becomes kind of difficult. Because yeah. trying to run a game like Dungeons and Dragons, where it uses fancy and magic, could be difficult. Yeah. Because there's no way to calculate passion in that sense. Well, yes, but I, yeah. Right, I, I, yeah. Um, but I do think that... I also like the idea that perhaps it came from, I don't know, like an evil god of some sort or something in the beyond. Maybe it even came from something like otherworldly, like some kind of like H.P. Lovecraft styled, like otherworldly creature that like gave this ailment known as passion to, to living beings or something. You know what I mean? Like this weird otherworldly mm. thing. Because usually my go-to is to say that it comes from like mathematics and logic and that it you can calculate like how to cast a spell based on like the cosmos mm. looking at constellation formations being able to cast spells because magic is like a micro to a macro stars and the beings beyond are just like us so i don't know some weird mathematic mumbo jumbo i like that because it feels like it's something scholars deal with so if this is something that was given to us from some evil god or something like that then maybe it is a matter of like some cryptic speech or something like that maybe it's 
something to do... I don't know 3.5 loved to say that it was draconic, was the speech of magic. And I've always kind of rolled with that because it made some sense, and that was the system I grew up on. But, like, maybe magic does come from dragons, specifically. Maybe magic comes from... I don't know, demons, or, or like, a god. Maybe a last... I don't know, maybe a, a dying god's last wish was to give magic to such and such, or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm. But it, it's hard, because no matter where you say it comes from, all of a sudden, then you have all this baggage to go with it. So it's not like this is something you can just kind of, like, eh, I don't know, dragons or some shit. Like, I think because magic is so important in the universe, it deserves a very cinematic and important moment that it comes from. Especially in our case, when it has so much, like, social importance. Like, yeah. So... I guess we should probably just agree on one thing and kind of roll with it. But I like the idea that it was given to people. So yeah, they didn't just figure it out. Yeah. But instead it was granted. And I think that that's where the most important event was. Is this sort of like giving over and somebody doing it themselves. Right. So I guess, and maybe because this is because we're playing an older edition, but I like the idea that maybe... Maybe there's some historic event where dragons came from somewhere else. And the first dragon that wanted to come through had to find a way of getting into our dimension. And so the only way to get in would be to maybe, like, open a dimension from our side to their side. Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that was to have a single person learn how to cast magics. And so maybe this person knew nothing better about what they were doing and just cast it like a vessel. And with all that magic knowledge they had accrued they accidentally let all dragons in, but they themselves also gave the world magic. And maybe dragons are referred to as being sort of like the biggest of evil in the world, which I know is cliche, I get it, but I'm kind of okay with that, especially if we view them as otherworldly. But I don't know. How do you how do you feel about dragons being like the givers of magic? I don't know, I think that's I think that's neat i haven't ever played a game where that's been the case yeah and it's I think just that's... been like magic is just there just magic things yeah um <laughs> and maybe and maybe that's where like the dragon's curse comes from is the idea that people who practice magic kind of fall in line with one of the dragon's mentalities where some people become kind of like gold dragons where they're haughty and like full of themselves but also very benevolent but mm. in a way that they like I don't know, or commandeer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, there's a level of pride to them. But then some people become, like, black dragons where they just have all this power and it makes them view everybody as being below them. Not in a sense of vanity, but in a sense of, like, malice and hatred. That they, like, get upset that anybody would dare live in the same world as a person who can travel between gates. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or maybe somebody acts kind of like, um... I don't know, a, a red dragon in their desire for power being based out of greed and they wish mm -hmm. to accumulate everything and anything. I love the idea there because it's like every wizard sort of, oh, wait a minute. I'm always weird too and I like to attribute schools of magic to dragons and I like the idea that maybe different colleges of magic and different schools of magic and types of magic sort of belong to different dragon types mm -hmm. and different dragon colors. So you'd have like Boragar the silver and he does things not unlike a silver dragon. And then you have wizards like, I don't know, Tiltamon the Red. And his whole thing is he does the stuff like the Red Dragon. And maybe these people sort of take on the essence of that dragon, and it's almost like a patron saint. Mm. I love you, the blue. 
Hmm? I said Red Lavier the Blue. And you can obviously change the names up for colors, yeah, but yeah. I also, mm, I fucking love having color names for people. Yeah, that's neat. But also, and you can also have like, I don't know, Tiltum on the Vein and mm -hmm. have him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Tiltum on the Mighty. An attribute related to that. I mean, I like the idea that maybe dragons view them differently for that reason. And they look at them as almost like a kindred spirit. Mm. Like if somebody is able to master them, maybe it's almost seen as kind of like a challenge. You know what I mean? Like... Like, if you show up as Tiltamon the Red mm -hmm. to the Red Dragon's Lair and you come there because you seek Red Dragon magic and you want to learn more about how to become the greatest Red Wizard you could be, you go to the Red Dragon, the Red Dragon's like, you dare wear the colors of my people, my ancestors. Like, prove yourself, swine. Yep. Prove that you're worthy to wear those colors. And maybe, maybe there's something to be said about how... I don't know, how would chromatic dragon... I mean, a, a metallic dragon's come to feel about that if so-and-so is trying to be kind of like i don't know brass dragons or bronze dragons or, or gold or silver or what have you if somebody is wearing like the colors of gold and they show up to the gold dragon's lair and they're like teach me your secrets how is a gold dragon gonna reply to that because i know they're usually viewed usually as being good but i think that i like them better as being neutral and just saying that they're not evil. They just kind of live their own way. And they're sort of stuck here on our planet and want to go home. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's also partially part of the test. Is make, is when you're wearing the colors of the, the gold, for instance, is approaching the gold dragon in a way that's... Well, right. And I think that falls in naturally. But my question yeah. is, how would a gold dragon feel about people like revering them to the point of borderline religion? Hmm. I, I almost feel like they would be reluctant to help. Yeah. But it feels like they might like look at it almost as if it'd be like if you were spider-man and somebody shows up and they're just like yo spider-man i love you so much i fight crime in my spare time i got shot once but like i do it for you bud and spider-man's like listen like dude i don't want you doing that in my name you're just gonna get hurt like i don't even want to be doing this right and i like the idea that dragons would almost be reluctant to have mortals following them yeah following their footsteps and wielding attempting to wield powers like they do so where's the where's the dynamic there though so, like, what's what happens with wizards at that point? Do they bother to talk to dragons? Do they just hope? Are there some dragons that are out there doing it? Or is it kind of like the majority of dragons will eventually take on, a, like, a steward or a sire or something like that? You know what I mean? Because hmm. it makes me think, like, I don't know, would you be able to become, like, a dragon rider if you've, you know what I mean, followed a dragon for long enough? Hmm. Or is it sort of like, I don't know. You know what I mean, though? Mm. The idea, like, what does that say about wizards? That they're, like, dragonkin, like, they're friends of dragons, and that's why people hate them. It's because dragons do so much evil, and, like, goodly dragons don't do anything with the power that they have, so... It's like... Mm. It almost reminds me of certain books or, or literature. I'm sure you got an example off the top of your head, but I'm just rolling with it. But the idea of people who revere an old time... And people don't like them for, like, wearing the old clothes of a, of a different time or the old, I don't know, superhero thing of a different time or the old military garb of a different time. Mm. People don't like them because it's like you're clinging to the past. past. Those people don't exist anymore. They don't care anymore. Like, let it go. Like, those dragons could have helped us a long time ago, but they don't. Like, wearing the gold clothing is silly. We live in an age where we have to be reasonable and responsible. Dragons will mm. bother us yeah. if they do, but nobody's going to stop them. Right. So... And it's interesting to think, like, I don't know, a world where the metallic dragons don't do anything. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They just don't contribute. 
So then, let's go back to an initial question we had with the, uh, the most important event that altered history. What happened? So there was what? Earlier you said... The dragons had the to dragons come through. The dragons had to come through. So one, why do the dragons want to come through? Maybe. Like, what's their reason for wanting that in well, the first place? And I think this might play into the idea of, like, why dragons, like the metallic dragons don't want to help at all. Is maybe the dragons themselves were fleeing sort of a dying planet mm -hmm. and needed to find a new home. Maybe yeah. something happened. Maybe their own planet was faced with so much war that they had nowhere to go and mm -hmm. so they basically like found this little scrappy plane known as the material plane and they're like this'll do so they taught one person to cast magic spells that person just kind of zombie walked over cast the first spell up and yep. all of them flood through yep. and all of a sudden the world was introduced to a new form of war they'd never heard of yeah and then the metallic dragons don't help because they're like war oh what's that line what's that Perlman line war war never changes yeah, that whole thing. And maybe the metallic dragons are all jaded and they just don't care just to fight the battle because they're like... They're like, we've done this so many times. They're like, to help you with the evil of your world. Like, that's your duty, dude. Yeah. Like We're just looking for somewhere to lay low and... Right? Live forever. Live forever. And just enjoy. Just bury into a hole and sod off. Until they find a new place to live. Mm-hmm. And I kind of dig that because, I don't know, it makes them into sort of like good dragon because that's always been a problem is like why don't good dragons do their lot to help and it's like maybe they're just so selfish they don't want to they can be benevolent and not want to help yeah. they can have the best it's kind of like playing an evil character in a group of good guys like i mean you can be evil and not kick children like you can be a bad guy yeah you just you know vote for certain political candidates when the time comes around and when anybody asks you say dude just detect political alignment okay that's a first level spell everybody has it yeah. So I like the idea that dragons sort of are self-serving and evil. And that's why chromatic dragons show up here and they're just like, okay, new plane to destroy. It's yep. our place till we, I don't know. And they're just like, I don't know, selfish. They all hate one another and they're all just sort of, I don't know, they waste the planet and they yeah. make the best of what they got. So maybe people hate, hate magic partially because they brought the dragons well, I think that's exactly right. what it is. You know? Right. But then you also have the people who are like, oh, but this could be used for good well, or whatever. Right, and that's the thing. Things, it's like, now that know? we have yeah. magic, we have the ability to, you know what I mean? Yep. Preserve life after death. Talk to the dead. We have the ability to tra travel through different dimensions. We mm -hmm. can, like, this improved our lot. But I still really like the idea of, like, mages being associated with dragons. Yeah. And the idea that any wizard has ties of originally to some dragon somehow, some way. And I like that idea because then that means that, I know, one, every wizard has to pick sort of like their dragon they follow. Yep. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea that like even having, because imagine if a wizard shows up in town and they set up a, like a wizard college of some regard and, or like a wizard tower or school or something like that. But what if it's like a wizard who practices red magic? And their whole thing is that they're like power and they're here because, and they view themselves as a political force that they're like, listen, you're going to be happy you have me here because we will no longer be some beet farming mm -hmm. carrot mine. This is a place where we have a magic user of great power. Yep. Your children will learn the greatest of magical arts and we will all have power. I like how that becomes a political thing. Yeah. And almost a caste system. 
where they're sort of on their own playing field. They have their own politics. They stay outside the law, and they're just their own people. Mm-hmm. Kings and queens are, like, scared to death of them, yep. but pretend like they don't exist. Hmm. But, okay. Well, I mean, I dig that idea. I think that's really neat. Yeah. So. I think it's definitely different from anything I've ever really kind of played before. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, in that case, um... Yeah, this was a good episode. I, I like talking about this stuff, but I also find that this is the most challenging stuff because it's just, it's so, like, damning for the rest of anything you write. Once you've written up how magic works, it's like you're buckled into this ride. There's no way of getting around it. No but, evac shoot. Yeah. But anyway, apart from evac shoots and evuk shats, uh, I think it's time to say goodbye. But anyway, uh, DMs, appreciate your players. Players, appreciate your DMs. Everybody have fun. Roll some big old stinky 20s for me. And Sarah, you got anything you want to plug? Nope. Have a good night, everybody. What if they're listening in the morning? They'll still have a good night that evening. The rest of your day can be shit, but your night will be exceptional. Uh, okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Music for the podcast was provided by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. The song was Bittersweet.